been on quite a few expeditions in the past. Um, there's quite a few instances where, um, you know, you've, you've really been in situations where you just kind of want to cry <laughs> um, or you've not really known how you're going to get out of something. But somehow you always do. I think once you've experienced that once and and to be honest, my my honest feeling is when something awful is happening in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is going to make such a great story when when I got through this, I've just got to get through it. Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kat Burford on her unsupported expedition to the South Pole. So this will involve her skiing 700 miles in temperatures as low as minus 50 degrees Celsius and wind speeds of up to 60 miles an hour. So only a handful of female adventurers have completed this solo unsupported trek to the South Pole. She's hoping to add her name to that number and also in the process raise funds for charities, uh, Bridge to Aid and Community Action Nepal. So Kat is an NHS dentist working in Cornwall and has recently become a faculty member with World Extreme Medicine teaching expedition dentistry. She always has had a passion for adventure and helping others and this has led her to journey across the globe from the jungles of Borneo to the deserts of Gobi to the African grasslands to the mountain regions of Nepal and Patagonia. So Kat has travelled extensively to provide dental care and training to remote communities in these environments. So she's now set her sights on the most challenging and remote continents on the earth and is uh, more ambitious than ever at completing this challenge. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Hi, thanks, Erin. Thanks for having me. Great to uh, great to speak to you. Kat, I suppose a good place to start would be why this challenge? What's the appeal to Antarctica? So the, the why question was something that I've kind of been warned about, that everybody's want to know, want, going to want to know why. It's like the first question. So it kind of splits between, you know, why Antarctica and then why the solo challenge. But um, in terms of Antarctica itself, uh, I've always been fascinated with the continent uh, since being a teenager, really. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I kind of remember sort of leafing through my dad's collection of National Geographic magazines on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, those definitely kind of opened my eyes up to what was out there to experience um, that kind of in kind of ignited my interest in geography and the kind of wider world and um and kind of even though I was a dentist that geography was really sort of my favorite subject um, to go for um I was kind of lucky to have a great teacher and specifically kind of remember one of the lessons when we were learning about all the different ecosystems and um she asked us what the largest desert on earth would be or was and then I just remember this giant picture of Antarctica being sort of on the um projector screen and that's definitely that was definitely a light bulb moment I think um, it's kind of stayed with me and I knew then that one day I was going to go there but in terms of a solo expedition that was yeah that wasn't initially on the cards but um, I think yes yeah, some of us are kind of wired differently um, certainly when I talk to friends and family like to me it seems quite natural to want to do something like this I've always known I've got a big challenge in me and um, it's quite difficult to explain but certainly when you kind of surround yourself with like-minded people it doesn't seem so odd to want to do this but um solo solo I've kind of done everything on my own <laughs> I have I do have lots of friends <laughs> um I'm not you know I'm quite a social person but when it comes to traveling and um not wanting anyone to kind of hold me back from or compromise what I want to do and that kind of connection with nature is much more um you feel it much more when you're kind of traveling solo and yeah in terms of this trip I guess I'm kind of interested to discover 
a lot about myself as well and how I do adapt to this isolation. So, yeah, that's kind of my why is a very big kind of broad chat. But <laughs> I think, yeah, that's kind of where it comes from. It's really interesting you say that actually, Kat, because I think a lot of these expeditions are a journey of self-discovery and mm-hmm. uh, almost a self-disclosure, really, as far as um, learning sort of more the innate, deeper subconscious uh, levels to yourself and and fundamental areas of perseverance and self-care and uh, perspectives on on many different things, I, I guess. But it, it just before we look at the challenge ahead of you, Kat, and what it's really going to entail, could you speak to sort of your historic draw towards extreme and expedition environments? Yeah, um, I suppose it's kind of like an incremental um, thing that, you know, you start off, it's a lot of family um influence even though they've not been on you know nothing to this scale but growing up we always we were kind of holidaying in the UK it was the Lake District it was hiking it was the Yorkshire Dales Peak District that kind of thing and um I just knew again going back to kind of those National Geographic magazines that I just wanted to get out there and explore so as soon as I could do like when I was 18 um straight away signed up to go off to Borneo and it's kind of it was never a I was never kind of questioned it. It was just what I was always going to do. And then once I've been to Borneo and seen what I could do and actually how well I did cope, I thought, well, where where next? And and at university, there was kind of joined the outdoor club, um, did a lot of hiking and getting out in the outdoors then. And then the elective, I think in fourth year, I think the same with medics. I don't know, well, it might be the same with medics, but in our course in the fourth year, you got to choose to do like a research project and you could do that abroad. Um, funnily enough, he didn't have to be in dentistry, so actually joined a scientific expedition into desertification in the Gobi. Um, and my university were kind of reluctant to actually let me go because I'd not really heard of risk assessments and things like that. Um, and then they were kind of questioning, you know, there wasn't really much in terms of rescue when you're sort of 10 hours stuck in the, in the depths of the desert. Um, but I kind of said, if you're not going to let me go, I'm going to go anyway. And it just kind of escalated from there. Again, you just, you get your confidence kind of builds and then you're just looking, you're always, you're bitten by the bug and you're kind of looking for the next thing. And it's, yeah, it's kind of year by year basis. Where am I going to, where am I going to go next? <laughs> Listen, I can attest to that from an adventure race and indeed ultra marathon perspective. And it can, there's an element of addiction to it actually, where it can be quite addictive. We were just talking offline about how addictive it can be, but um, could you maybe just give us a, a broad brush anatomy of what the challenge might look like and indeed what you are, what sort of how many days you're hoping to complete it in and looking at sort of current standards. We, I know Polar Preet's just come back from, from the continent. Could you maybe speak to the anatomy? Yeah. So um, there's some quite, there are quite a few different routes that you can take um, when you're going to do sort of a solo trip. I'm doing the Hercules inlet route, um, which is kind of the, probably the most traveled route um, of, in Antarctica. Uh, it should take between sort of 45 and 55 days. That's kind of the average. That's what you plan in terms of your food and everything, fuel. Um, obviously, I think this year you might have heard that um, Caroline Coach, she kind of smashed the speed record um, by four, taking four days off um, and did it in 34 days. But yeah, that's not something I'm, I've got no aspirations to try and challenge that one. I think that'll stand for a while. Um, so yeah, going on the Hercules Inlet. Um, I So... The first sort of three or four days will be kind of quite strenuous climbing up sort of 800 metres from sea level. 
um, through sort of crevasses. Um, Food-wise, that's quite an interesting one because you kind of plan, you know you're going to lose weight, really. Um, you kind of plan to feed yourself with as many calories as possible. So I'll be kind of looking to eat around 6,000 calories a day, but um, the bulk of those calories are kind of in your breakfast in the morning and then your, your big meal in the evening and then during the day just sort of stopping every hour and kind of filling up with your snacks. And it's quite a scientific um, way of going about it now. Whereas in the past, it might have just been quite arbitrary, just putting a bit of butter in this and hoping for the best. Um, you really kind of, the science is there to try and make maximise sort of your carbs intake in terms of weight as well. So, yeah, I'll be kind of, at the moment during my training, I'm kind of just working out really what works for me. Um, but yeah, the pulk itself, it's going to weigh, so I'll be kind of dragging about 80 kilos, 80 to 90 kilos behind me in my pulk, um, which in itself is going to, yeah, you burn through your calories. Um, but so before you go out there, it's quite, they're kind of two fields of thought. One one field is to kind of put weight on so that you know you're going to lose weight, but then likewise, you don't want to put too much, much weight on and then find that you're um, sort of having to burn more calories because you're, you weigh more. Um, so yeah, those are sort of the challenges that I'll be kind of weighing up. And it's a lot of talking to other people really and what works for them. And and adapting it for your own journey. So yeah, I've been been in contact with Preet and Wendy, who's um, Wendy Sell was the seventh woman to reach the South Pole. She's like my key mentor, her and Louis Rudd, and really just learning from everyone else's experiences and kind of taking the best bits, the best bits of advice from everybody and adapting it to my kind of trip. So looking at the types of food you'll bring, I guess maybe high yield energy. So just to eat simple sugars, maybe more complex carbs as well. Um, are you just looking to take a variety of granola kind of sugary foods and, and maybe more sort of pasta based or indeed freeze dried based food? Yeah, it's all going to be the freeze dried based ones um, morning and evening. Um, and during the daytime, it's just finding stuff you like because you think you like certain foods. And when I went out in Norway last year, um, so I took out all the stuff that I like to eat, the chocolate, um, wine gums, all these things that dentists really shouldn't be eating. Um, but as, as soon as it got to the cold weather, I don't know, the taste of things changed and you, you really, it does, your taste buds change. And I realised that maybe um, I needed to kind of not rely on this because otherwise I just wouldn't be eating. But yeah, what actually one of the biggest challenges has been making myself snack, which is the one thing that dentists tell you not to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about my teeth. <laughs> So looking at the sort of the conditions, because so it'll be our winter time, uh, but actually Antarctica, it's the eternal summertime. So actually the sun, if I'm right in thinking, won't actually go down beyond the horizon. Um, could you sort of speak to what you're expecting from weather and indeed from from the sort of the summertime conditions out there? Yeah, so um, I think Antarctica is kind of known by its extremes. It's kind of the the highest the driest the windiest um continent on earth um so yeah it's a frozen desert basically in terms of weather um it's there's this very set window that you have to complete your expedition in because you obviously need to take advantage of these um the 24 hour sunlight so um there's quite a lot of expeditions going out at the same time um and have to be off the ice at the same time as well um obviously using that sunlight to power your charges and to um it's it's and it takes the element of it takes a bit of the scariness away as well for me that i think not having to deal with the dark on your own um having that eternal sunlight is um actually a bit of a benefit um so 
the South Pole, the actual the, temp, the winds that you can get, I think you've heard them, they're called catabanic winds. And I think um, it's, it, this, this highest wind speed was actually recorded on Antarctica of 204 miles per hour. But um, I think on the route that I do, that tends to be more sort of coastal winds. So as you get further inland, um, although you'll be constantly going to a headwind, um, you're not going to kind of reach those kind of kind of speeds. So Kat, actually, we know a lot of these challenges are actually all in the preparation and you've spoken to the preparation, actually. Could you maybe speak to exactly what you're doing from a fitness perspective? Because I know some of the colleagues who were just on the Enjoy 22 expedition to the South Pole had extensive periods of dragging tires around with them naming tires that they were dragging around with them in certain cities and places, uh, doing a lot of endurance work, a lot of graded endurance work with weight um, to mimic the bulk. Is, is that the kind of similar kind of um, exercise and, and regimes that you're, that, that you're going through? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, I've become quite well known on the Cornish coastline, dragging my tires around. You get to see sort of the same sort of dog walkers and people around, um, kind of cheering you on as you go or following your tracks. Um, I kind of set up with um, a coach who's who's actually kind of coached the last couple of people, uh, Coach Preet and Wendy, um, to the South Pole. So he's got a good track record in getting females to the South Pole, um, John Fern. And he basically sends me my weekly kind of training plan, which does involve a lot of tire work my tire he got a name as well called shaky as kind of a little nod to shackleton there um but then when i had to double up i'm on two tires now i haven't quite named the second one um but yeah so lots of kind of really long mundane so once a week there'll be a really long kind of tire drag you know four or five hours just to kind of get into that mindset and that monotony um you want to experience the boredom um as well as doing the kind of shorter hill reps and things like that and then you mix it up quite a lot with bits of running, core work, strength. You really need a whole kind of body workout because although you're you need good lower body strength to haul you know haul this pulp behind you, quite a few times you're you're having to drag that pulp over, so strugi round you know out of crevasses. You've really got to still have good upper body strength at the same time. So it's what I do. You know what the training is? I love it. <laughs> it's almost that's the one thing that I can control, and that's the one thing that doesn't concern me as such um, if you give me a target of something to do I'll do it um, because I can see that kind of end site and why why I'm doing it um, so yeah that that kind of training is is yeah I'm on it in terms of mental training do you know what I, there's lots of tips and techniques people try and tell me but they say ultimately you just you don't know until you until you experience it so listen that's fantastic to hear you know around the physical aspects in the analogy of mental fortitude being something you carry forward from previous expeditions or experiences could you speak to sort of what, what you might have carried forward from a, a mental fortitude uh, into um, this this next current challenge yeah so i've been on quite a few expeditions in the past and um, there's quite a few instances where um, you know you've you've really been in situations where you just kind of want to cry <laughs> um or you've not really known how you're going to get out of something but somehow you, you always do I think once you've experienced that once and and to be honest my my honest feeling is when something awful is happening in the back of my mind I'm thinking this is going to make such a great story when when I got through this I've just got to get through it and that's kind of positive spin on a bad situation is really how I handle anything really um and i kind of can imagine that happening to me 
And um, when I'm in the South Pole, I know when speaking to Wendy, it's quite good listening to a female perspective of being in the South Pole. When you hear kind of the, the guys telling you their experiences, it's really just focused on how fast they went or how far they went and, you know, these um, challenges. But it's always from a very, you know, I had no problems attitude. Whereas listening to Wendy, she'll, she's very open in terms of I cried. <laughs> I cried a lot and just, you know, and, and I just pushed past that and how they they kind of, um, yeah, push beyond that that feeling of hopelessness at some point. So, um, yeah, listen, I think that was really a, a key, knowing that it's not a bad thing and you're going to experience that, then I know what to expect in a way. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of preparing myself for those feeling that awful, but then coming out of it with a great story. So Kat, as we're coming to land on the conversation, just could you speak to how you're planning to fund the trip and indeed what um, what you, you spoke, we spoke earlier about briefly about the charities that hopefully will benefit from the trip. Could you speak to maybe the funding and um, retrospectively uh, or prospectively the charities which will benefit? Yeah, so um, I'm really keen that people, like my friends and family, aren't the ones that are funding this dream of mine. I feel that's, it just seems a bit too selfish. <laughs> Um, to do that so but I also want to be able to use this platform you know to do good I love raising money for charity and this you know you, I'd be silly not to use this opportunity to really make a difference certainly to charities that mean a lot to me so the actual um, trip um, I'm working on gaining sponsorship through companies and um, looking at kind of the dental side and also looking at obviously the female health perspective and using sort of those um, angles to really target companies to support me and um, with sponsorship which is which is going really well. Um, in terms of choosing the charities, you know, there's a whole host of charities to choose from. Um, so I really wanted to pick something that was sort of personal to me. And Community Action Nepal, I did some work out in Nepal in 2006 and just you know, fell in love with the place. And when I came back, um, I met Doug Scott, who was like the first Britain to climb Everest. Um, and I had a good chat with him. It was just at an outdoor um, show and was really chatting to him quite a while and talking about how he's set up this charity himself and they provide health clinics to these remote communities in Nepal and specifically sort of training um, people within the community so that it's got, um, you know, sustainable. And he was very keen to add the dental side of that to these clinics, um, which we have been doing. And it's just stayed with me and I kind of got a bit busy in the meantime of doing other projects um, abroad, but it felt like a commitment that I had to stick to. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of raising money for them and then also going out next year and seeing how that money's been spent and seeing how I can input and help um, help with sort of help them in these, certainly in the training of um, health professionals out there for dental emergencies. And then uh, Bridge to Aid, it's kind of a similar thing. It's, it is a dental charity. And again, but they're more focused in Africa. Um, quite a few dent they kind of use dentists from the UK to go over again to help with the training but it, again it's more working with communities um, and in their projects rather than being you know the hero that kind of swoops in to just provide care as and when but yeah so that's that's where the money's going to be going and um, I'm looking forward to kind of continuing this the legacy really of this trip afterwards and following how that money's been spent. So as we finish the conversation cat could you maybe speak to sort of any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with listeners indeed 
any any words of affirmation or encouragement to female listeners that might be even indeed fo- thinking about following in your footsteps or, or or not even but just taking that next challenge looking at a next adventure however small or large yeah um so i'm just like doing this i've always been somebody that's been quite quiet about what i do i'm not someone that shouts about it and everyone will know my um aversion to having to start my social media <laughs> to kind of get this exposure and so but actually now that you know that's building I'm really excited to kind of take people on this journey with me um and if seeing me aim for my goals inspires others then um to be bold enough to go for it then that's definitely be worth it I'm doing quite a bit of work with schools certainly on the um dentistry side of it um and just seeing the faces of these kids thinking that maybe I might be that one person that just you know gives them that belief that you know if I can do it then why not why can't why can't you go for it then that's yeah that's thrilling for me um i know when i started training i was quite surprised by how little data there was on women and especially the effect of this environment on their health so doing i don't know if i mentioned i'm doing some they're going to be tracking my hormones or the female hormones whilst i'm on expedition um and we're hoping to use that sort of data in study possibly collaborating with the, the msc in expedition Wilderness medicine and like exeter and um and just hoping that I can add some data to the data pool so it's not no longer based on your average white man and negatively impacting women. So there are some positive, you know, you really can do quite a lot of positive things from the expedition. And then afterwards, who knows, it's like doors have been opening all year um, since I kind of announced I was going to be doing this and I kind of adopted the name the Molar Explorer. So I can't just stop at one expedition, can I? That's going to that's gonna continue. So I'm always all ears for the next adventure. <laughs> Callison, it's been fantastic to talk to you and thanks for sharing your reflections and indeed aspirations for this next trip. We're, we're all behind you and we'll put links in the show notes to your GoFundMe page, uh, which explains and unpacks more of the challenge. And uh, thanks once again. That's brilliant. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening to the episode. Please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical and performance medicine. Thanks again.